Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. Um, especially great to see a lot of you who are new faces. That's fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor at the church. And uh, if there's anything, I hope you do feel welcome today. I really do. And I hope if there's anything that we can do to, to make you feel more welcome, that you'll let us know. We would love for you to, to, uh, to feel right at home here today. Well, if you are new, uh, two weeks ago we launched a brand new series that we're calling High Places. And it comes from a phrase that we see repeated over and over again in the Bible. Here's one example among many where we see this, re- uh, this phrase repeated. This one's out of First uh, Kings chapter 22. It says this, yet the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and made their offerings on the high places. And as we've learned throughout the series, it's not so much that the, the high places were inherently bad, it's what was happening on those high places. And in many of the high places, here's what was going on, and this is uh, also out of the book of Kings. This one's out of Second Kings, uh, chapter 17. It says this, While the people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. So one of the things that had gone awry there at the high places is that instead of exclusively worshiping God, they were also also serving their idols, sometimes right at the high place and frequently when they would step away from the high place. Now, you may subscribe to a worldview where that's okay. You may subscribe to a worldview or even a religion where you can have multiple gods and you can, you can worship one and then go ahead and serve other idols. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ uh, and subscribe to a biblical worldview, we don't have that option. We don't have the option of saying we worship God, but then we can serve these other idols. This is one passage of many that speaks to that. So what we're trying to accomplish in this series is we're trying to ask ourselves some questions and to say, are we doing this? Have we allowed something to come into our lives that we're, we're treating in idol-like fashion? And last week, what we did is we looked at the category of entertainment and today, breathe deep because we're going to dive into possessions. We're going to be asking ourselves some tough questions about possessions. We have a lot, of co- lot to cover today, so we're going to dive right in. If you brought your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. As we're turning here, I want to say a couple things. One, um, if you did bring your Bible today, just keep a finger here um, in this section or bookmark because we're going to be looking at not just this passage, but what comes a little after it, what comes before. And sometimes it's an eye-opener. When you hear a passage, especially a familiar passage like this one, to go, oh, that came right before? Oh, that came right after? Sometimes that's helpful. I also want to let you know as we're opening up our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free. We always keep a stack of them there in the back at any time um, during any visit. Just feel free to take one. We'd love for you to, to have that as a gift. All right. Here we go. This passage is going to sound familiar. Even if you don't know the Bible, you've probably heard this before. These are the words of Jesus, and it says this um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I want to hit pause on there and, and, and take a look at this. You can see on the screens that we've got what look like random letters grouped there together. What that is about is that the, the Bibles that we have in our hands, they didn't, they didn't come in English. In fact, they're a collection of ancient works, and they're written in different languages, and one of the languages was Greek. So what you're seeing in the brackets there is a transliteration of, of two Greek words. And I want to point this out because if we read it just in English, we can miss some important nuances. And, and I think it's worth pointing out as we, as we talk about possessions and the role that they should and shouldn't play in the life of believers. The first one I want to point out is the word that we translate as into serve here. 
the word that was chosen by Matthew is a word that communicates a very specific idea. And that specific idea is that you can't serve two masters in the sense of this word here refers specifically to a slave owner and a slave's relationship. And so it's, he could have chosen a word that, that, that is serving like you're serving your boss at work. And you can have more than one boss, but you can only have one master in this way. So he specifically chose a word that communicates the idea of you can only have one master. You can only be slave to one master. So that was, I think, worth pointing out. The second is where we see um, in this translation, they translate this word as money. There's the transliteration of the Greek. And that word communicates more than just money. It's actually, if I'm understanding it right, it's not a word that had its origin in Greek. It had its origin either in Aramaic or Hebrew, and they're trying to to create a word for that. And it's a word that you might see if you have a King James translation, New King James, it's translated as mammon. And it's, it's an idea that communicates more than just money, but money and possessions. So it's not just talking here about money, but also money and possessions. So it, we could reread it to say you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one or love the other. You're going to be voted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve. You cannot have a, 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 a separate master. You, you, you have to choose one or the other. You cannot serve both God and money or possessions. Now, again, what was being communicated, in case it isn't clear, is that you cannot be a disciple of Jesus and then be devoted, as it says here, devoted to money or possessions. Now, the strong warning that Jesus gives here, you need to know, this is just one of many where he talks about money and possessions like this. One of my sources said that 16 out of Jesus' 38 parables deal with either money or possessions. This is a topic that he brought up over and over and over again. And it's not that possessions are inherently bad. I need to say that on the front end of this talk. It's not that they're inherently bad. God has, in fact, I think it brings God great joy when we create amazing things. He gave us this world, you know, how many of you liked Legos when you were kids or Play-Doh, you know? Okay, God gave us this world with, with wood and stones and precious, what we call precious gems and all these chemicals we can turn into all kinds of really cool things. I think it brings God great joy when we can utilize our creativity and when we can create these amazing objects. But I think God also knows. Well, I don't think. God, God, it says he can see into our hearts. And God knows that these, these things can take on a role in our lives that isn't an appropriate role for them to take. And when these things take on that inappropriate role, that's when they can start to become idols. So here's a couple questions I want us to ask ourselves. And it's very important that we ask these questions of ourselves and not our neighbors and not their friends. These are questions for us, all right? Here are some questions. The statement at the top, and there's a place to write this in your notes. The statement at the top reads, Our high places reveal our rival gods. The things that we hold in great esteem or have great adoration for... They, re- they reveal our, our rival God. So here are some questions that get at the idea of our possessions or money taking on a rival God-like state in your life. The first question is this. Are you more likely to dream about winning the lottery or winning souls? And, and I know that sounds very cliche and very Christianese, but I also think it's a fair question, a hard question, but a fair question because it gets at what we really value, what brings us deep joy. Another question, do, you, do your spending patterns reflect that you're a citizen of another kingdom? What I mean by that is the scripture says our citizenship is not here on earth. We have, we have a citizenship that is in the kingdom of God. 
and, and, and we have this kind of dual citizenship because our, our, our citizenship as members of the kingdom of God, it, it, it's happening right now, but it's also something that goes on to eternity. And are we acting as though that this life that we're now experiencing is going to be radically different? Or does it look like we've made this world our home and we're just putting down roots here? Or do we look like people who are passing through from this life to the next? That was what question number two is attempting to get at. Number three, does your stewardship of, quote, your possessions reflect a conviction that it all belongs to God? When you think of your stuff, do you think of it as your stuff? Or do you think of it as everything is God's? Everything is God's. And I'm being entrusted to take good care of it and, and to, to use it as he would have me to use it. All right, question number four. And this comes right out of the scriptures. Are you content in all circumstances? This is something that a, a believer named Paul had experienced. He was able, he had learned the secret to facing plenty or hunger, abundance or need. Number five, do you offer God your first and your best or does God get what's left over? And number six, are financial matters a source of great worry and stress? I think these are hard questions. I don't think, I know for me, I, I do not do well on these questions. I think they're fair questions scripturally because they get at the idea, are, are things taking on a place that they shouldn't take on in the life of someone who is a professing follower of Jesus? Are they beginning to compete with God for our devotion? Now, heading into this message, I've, I felt like I was supposed to take this a certain direction. And the certain direction I felt I was supposed to take this was to make a link, to connect some dots between the um, ridiculously strong influence that possessions have over us and the idea that there are spiritual forces at work in this world, demonic forces. And so that got me thinking, okay, well, how do you make this case to highly educated 21st century audience? How, how do you even make a case that there's demonic forces at work who influence us? And this is just one of the areas. So I was thinking about that last week. I was thinking um, about, about how do you make that case? And that was, I should say, two weeks ago. And then came Monday. Then came Monday. Can we put the picture of um, Martin Richard on the screen, please? On Monday, this boy was eating ice cream with his family. And a bomb went off. And it killed him. And it took off his sister's leg. And his mom was having brain surgery. And the dad went home without his family. And if you have a question for me, and that question is, how can you seriously believe there's demonic influences at work? I point to examples like this, and I say, how can you believe there's not? How can you believe there's not? And I once heard a Mexican pastor as he was talking about the influence that the spiritual world has on us today, and he said he believed that mammon, mammon was a very specific demon. And I can't see biblically how you make a real strong case for that. But what you can do is connect some dots. The Bible talks about the prince of demons, and there are some very clear connections between him and worldly wealth. I think of how he came at Jesus with temptations. If you have your Bibles, flip back a little bit, just a little bit, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what happens. Let's get a running start at that passage. In chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. And after he was baptized... The Bible says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, which is very perplexing to me in and of itself. I wish we had more time to explore that. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, two of the three temptations that came at Jesus were material in nature. 
Two of the three were material in nature. The first involved food. The first involved food. Is food inherently evil? No. Except for cream corn. <laughs> and egg salad. Yeah. Any other, any other nominations? Go ahead and shout them out. One, we had raisins? Really? Okay. All right. So, so there you go. So there's a couple with a few notable exceptions. Um, there's not just evil food. There's just food. So it's not that Jesus was being tempted with something wrong, evil. It was just food. But what was wrong was that, that, that the temptation was to go off script. Jesus was fasting. He felt called to fast. And he was being tempted to go off script from that. So the third temptation, that's the one we're going to look at here with the word, the passage is on the screen in Matthew 4, starting with verse 8. This is the third of the three temptations. It also is material in nature. It says this, again, the devil took Jesus now to a very high mountain, to a high place, you might say, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, it's interesting, even within this passage, starting a little before there and ending here, that two different names are used for this tempter. Uh, the first, at the beginning of this account, the name that we, is the one that we translate as the English word devil, and it means malicious or slanderous or accuser. And then here at the end, what, what name does Jesus ascribe to this evil one? Satan. And Satan is a word that would translate as hostile opponent, hostile opponent. And here we see why. The evil one wants us to elevate things that shouldn't be elevated. He wants us to elevate things that shouldn't be elevated. And the evil one now, he knows that if he came at you and he he came in some sort of form that you could see that materialized, that wouldn't draw you closer to him. That would convince you of some of these things, perhaps, that you see in the scriptures. So what he does instead is he he wants to go a little more underground, and he wants to make you think that what God is asking us to do here to minimize the role of possessions in our lives is a huge sacrifice. He would love for you to think that. He would love for you to think that minimizing the role possessions play in our lives is a huge sacrifice. He would love that. But let's look at just a partial list of why that's dangerous. I'm going to put four things on the screen, none of which will surprise any of you. Here are some things that can happen if you elevate possessions beyond the rightful place. Number one, Jesus warned us, a life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus to know that. That our life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Let's say you spend your entire life in the pursuit of accumulating things. Will that take you where you really want to go? And if you're passionate in my voice, it's because I'm talking to myself right now. Will that take me where I really want to go? Um, Laura and some of her friends read a book called Seven. It's an interesting book. I've just started reading it. Uh, I have that and a couple other resources on the back of your notes that you might want to take a look at. A couple other things, a couple other books. But this one, I want to read a quick excerpt from this book for you. And she talks to this idea of our life not consisting of the abundance of our possessions. She says, I can rationalize individual purchases. One pair of shoes, no big deal. This little outfit, it was on sale. This micro-justification easily translates to nearly every purchase I make. Alone, each item is reduced to an easy explanation. Altogether, we've spent enough to change the lives of a thousand people. What did I get for that budgeting displacement? And she asks, what if I joined a different movement? One that was less enticed by luxuries and more interested in justice. 
The average human gets around 25,000 days on this earth. That's it. Life is a breath. Heaven is coming fast. And we live in that thin space where faith and obedience have relevance. We have this one life to offer. There is no second chance. No plan B for the good news. We get one shot at living to expand the kingdom. We'll stand before Jesus once. And none of our luxuries will accompany us. We'll have one moment to say, this is how I lived. And then she concludes by saying, 13,000 of my days are now behind me. I want to make these count. And isn't that true for all of us? At the end of our life, wouldn't we give a mountain of possessions for the chance to have God help us, allow us the privilege of helping to change a life? You know? Here, the second one I have on, on the list here is number two. It says this, financial security is an oxymoron. And we all know this too, right? Financial security is an oxymoron. And for the record, let me say a couple things. I'm a big believer in saving. The way we lead this church is that we have a two to three month financial cushion and no debt. That, that's where we are. So I, I believe in saving. With my own personal, when my check comes, it automatically sends it to short-term savings part of it and part of it to long-term savings. I believe in savings. I just don't have, I'm not under any false um, impressions that it's real security. It's wise, but I, I, I'm under no false um, belief or any illusions that it's going to offer me real security. I agree with a man who said, he who provides for this life but takes no care of eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. Some of the wealthiest people on earth foolishly banked on financial security. And what happened in 2008 when we had the economic meltdown? We had the acting CFO of Freddie Mac. Well, he hung himself in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good committed suicide in his Jaguar. One Bear Stearns executive took a drug overdose and then leapt from the 29th floor of his office building. They put faith in financial security. Ten years ago, who, you know, ten years ago, who would have thought that a home wasn't a source of financial security? Who would have thought a retirement account wasn't a source of financial security? Just two years ago, who would have thought Apple stock wasn't secure? What are we, 40% or something of its value? One month ago, gold looked pretty good. You know, possessions can tempt us to place a deity-like trust. I'm not saying don't save. I'm just saying don't put a deity-like trust in them for security. One storm, one war, one fire, one break-in, one layoff, one event, and it quickly becomes apparent that possessions can't deliver are you able to say, I was, we were singing that song, um, I got the joy, I got the joy. I was thinking, could we sing that song if all of our assets vaporized? Could you still sing, I got the joy, and mean it? Isn't, wouldn't that be a great place to be? That would be a great place to be. And that's the place God wants to bring us to. All right, number three on this list. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that because I only saw it this week. But the reason I'm putting it up on the screen I saw it in a magazine called Fast Company. The reason I put it on the screen is that it's a phrase that describes something we've all felt. What it's describing is that whole phenomenon that happens in, in our lives where we get something, we get something, and it loses its, its luster really quick. This is a fancy way of saying how the novelty of a new toy quickly wears off. 
Pretty soon that gadget that you sacrificed for and you couldn't wait to get is just another thing you own. You know, think about this. Do businesses want satisfied customers? Trick question, right? They want temporarily satisfied customers. They want customers who have just enough satisfaction satisfaction that they keep coming back and coming back and coming back and coming back. That's the way our economy works. Number four, again, this is no arguments here, I'd imagine. One of the reasons it's dangerous to elevate the role of possessions in your life, debt can quickly snowball. And the Bible says it's akin to slavery. I tell you, one of the most painful things I see on a regular basis is people who believed the lie that life would be better if they borrowed as much as they did. And now they're trying to dig out of that hole. More isn't always better, right? None of you were surprised by any of the things on this list, right? We, We know these things. More isn't always better. The old adage, money can't buy happiness, it's true. In my prep for this week, it was just interesting to see people have known this. They knew it in the Bible times. Here's here's a quote from a a French historian and political thinker. He studied the United States in the early 1800s. And as he studied the United States, here's some quotes from him. He says of us, a strange melancholy, a melancholy, a strange melancholy haunts the inhabitants of this country in the midst of abundance. And then in a separate thought, he says this, he, he weighs in on why, and he says the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. Which brings us then into what I want to do now. Let's talk about spiritual. We, we just looked at four things that we all would agree to say, yeah, this is true. You know, this money, if you elevate it, possessions, if you elevate it, those are things to be true. Let's go now to a list of spiritually, what can happen? If you elevate these things, if you allow these idols to take a place on the altar of your life, here are some consequences of that. Number one, God can't ignore idolatry. We talked about that a little last week. Number two, Possessions can render our lives unfruitful. We can chase after things that don't make a real difference. Number three, greed. Look at that. Greed can invalidate our prayers and sacrifices. Do you want your prayers invalidated? Number four, wealth makes it difficult to enter the kingdom of God. I put the passage there. Pretty much that's exactly what it says. And number five, wealth provides a false sense of security that we may identify only after it's too late. There's one example in the scriptures, this is one of the best ones right here, of a, of a person, and I think this is more parable in nature, but illustrating a key point, where you can sometimes have this wealth and you just think, oh, I got time and things are comfortable, and then you realize too late that your heart wasn't in the right place, that your mind wasn't in the right place, your priorities weren't in the right place. Now, if you're at all like me, this morning feels like a wake-up call. Because it's amazing how these things can keep fighting to be up there. And even if you feel like you've dealt with this before, like if you, many of us probably in this room have at one point in our lives consciously said, God, everything is yours. Everything I have is yours. It's interesting how that stuff creeps back up, isn't it? On the altar. So here's, here's what I believe is a path forward out of this. And this is the same one that we've looked at for other things and we'll look at in the weeks to come. But let's apply this to possessions. And that is this. High places, they can't simply be removed. They must be replaced. High places, idols. Idols can't simply be removed. They must be replaced. Now, again, for the record, it's important to try to do the removing part. It's really important to go, you know, today to go, God, I see that I've allowed these things to creep up. 
for most of us, it's unintentional. We didn't try this, but we, we, we recognize, okay, so God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've allowed these things to take on a high place. Would you help me? God would love to help. He'd love to help us with this. So start there, and then, and then there's all kinds of resources you could go to. We're not going to spend much time on this because you can go all over the place. I'll just Google simplify your life, you know? You can get all kinds of great tips on how to remove some of these things, how to spend less, how to avoid being put where you're being marketed to all the time. There's all kinds of things you can do to help remove and get back to a place of ah, peace, right? So I want to spend a little extra time on that bottom part because this is the, skip, the, the step that we often skip. We, we don't... We need to do more than just remove it. We need to replace it with a stronger God, with a more compelling vision. Now, going back to something I said earlier, I mentioned that I believe there's a, there's a spiritual tie-in here. I believe it's, it's, it's not that these possessions inherently have this kind of strength over us. I believe that we have an adversary who leverages them against us. And look at what it says about demonic possession, and let's see if this relates to our possessions at all. This is out of Matthew, again, the same book we've been looking at. Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 43, it says this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'm going to return to that house I left. And when it arrives, it founds that the, the, the person had cut up the credit cards. They unsubscribed from all the email lists. They went and had a huge garage sale, and the place is now swept clean. It's put in order. Well, what it does, it comes back with seven of its buddies, more wicked than itself, they go in and live there, and the final condition of the person is worse than the first. I've seen these types of things happen in people. They, they, they make this big, what they think is a big sacrifice for God, and then they become the most bitter people you ever met. Oh, God asked me to give up all this. No. You can't just remove it. You need to replace it. You need to replace it with a, with a greater God, a more compelling vision. And look at this compelling vision. Look at, what, look at what God says. If we were to, let's go back to the passage we started with, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Let's look at what happens if we just keep reading. Look what God says he'd be willing to do. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Then look what he goes on to say. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, they do not reap, they do not store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. Would you please read verse 33 with me? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There's the promise. How many of you can think of a time in your life where you did this and God provided? Look, can you just leave your hands up again? All right, look at this. We can testify to this. And don't we get into trouble when we try to take matters in our own hands? Right? That's when we get into trouble. I look at my own life, I could tell all kinds of stories of how when I'm trusting God in that way, 
He takes care of us. And, and when he's taking care of us, it's not that life is bad. When we're trusting God with that way, sometimes that's where we're hearing him the most clearly. There's the most energy and excitement. He's guiding us. He's leading us. He's using us. It's a place we want to be. God is faithful. He delivers on his promises. So, so as you're thinking about this idea of, okay, if I want to replace these idols with God, what does that look like? We could spend a month on that, but let me give you two things real quick as we wrap up here. Number one, Become a disciple of Jesus. Become a disciple of Jesus. A disciple is one who looks to their master and they they listen to the teachings of the master and they apply the teachings of the master and then they try to become like their master. And Jesus has so much to teach us about how to pray and so much to teach us about how to live. And I think one of the most overlooked things about Jesus is we overlook his lifestyle. Let's take just a minute here. Up in front here, I've got two different flip charts. And what we're going to do is we're going to take just a minute to list some of stuff associated with our lifestyle, things that we have, possessions that we own, okay? And then what we're going to do is we're going to contrast that list with the stuff Jesus had at the end of his life, all right? So um, this time you can speak for a neighbor. It doesn't have to necessarily be something you have. But if you were to think of things that are possessions in typical folks, what just yell some out. What? Clothes. Okay, so clothes. Hold on a second. About how many clothes do you think the average person has? And I have no idea, so we can just make up a number. If you think individual socks, you know, shoes, coats, gloves, hundreds, okay? Hundreds, all right? So what else we got? So we got hundreds of pieces of clothes. Cell phone, all right? Do you have anything with the cell phone? There's a case. There's a, what else? Charger and car charger. Apps. Oh, yeah. Apps and... And all, yeah, all that. Okay, what else? Media. Okay, how many pieces of media? If you add up all the games, all the DVDs, all the VHSs, all the tapes that are in the storage, you know, all that kind of stuff. How, how, songs. Thousands. You're right, songs. Thousands. Okay. All right, what else we got? Cars. Okay, cars. And what, all do, what do we have that's associated with our cars? We got uh, washer fluid that we have in our garage, maybe. We got... In the glove box, what do you got in your glove boxes? Maps? Not anymore. Some of you guys, well, map? What's that? You got, okay, got all kinds of stuff. So there's things underneath your seats. There's stuff in your trunks. There's all that. Okay. Okay, what else we got? What else we own? A house. What's in your house? Who knows? Okay, so for the sake of time, if we itemized everything, every knife, every spoon, every... Everything in every room. If you even went this far and you broke your house down into all the things that make up the house, you got carpeting, you got. Okay, so you got. This is now getting to be a pretty big list, right? Okay. All right. Okay, this could probably take a long time here, but at the end of Jesus' life, what material possessions did he have at the end of his life? He had. He had one set of clothes. Of clothes. which maybe included some sandals. So, which does your life, which is your life moving towards? Is it moving towards this? Or is it moving towards this? This is very convicting to me, personally. Because my pull is towards this, and my pull is not towards this. And I want to replace this. And it's not because, I, I mean, part of it might be a guilt thing, but I think it's, I hope it's beyond that. 
I hope it's because I really trust him that he has a better life for me. And I, and I just brainstormed that a little bit, and I thought about this. I thought, under which situation am I more likely to quickly follow him on any adventure that he leads? If, if I've, you know, I've said this before, when everything I owned fit into my yellow, yellow Chevette, um, which was a beautiful car, um, it was pretty easy to say, God, I'll go, I'll take this wherever you want me to go. You know, I will, I will go to wherever. Um, when you have more, that's a lot harder to do if God calls you out of state, if he calls you to a different part of town, if he calls you to something else. I think about this. Where are we more likely to have great complexity and great stress? It's generally over here, isn't it? Under which scenario are we more likely to have more time for what's most important if we're moving this way, if we're moving this way? You know, if your income stays the same, are you likely to be more generous if you're moving this way or if you're moving this way? Do you see why our adversary would want us to move this way? Not because God doesn't love us. God knows what's best. So become a disciple of Jesus and, and seriously wrestle with that lifestyle thing. Should our lives become more simple or less? I'm, I'm trying to, one of my new goals is to deaccumulate from here on out. To have fewer things a year from now than I have now. Fewer things two years, three years than I have now. Some of those things will get replaced, but they have fewer of them. All right, and so here's just the second. I just want to give you two things. If you're going to replace these high places, become a real disciple of Jesus. And then number two, we say this all the time, develop, develop friendships with people who are attempting to break out of the cycle of poverty. We come back to this a lot at this church. It is easier to ignore the poor when you don't know their names. When you know their names, it's a lot harder to do this, isn't it? Pursue this. It comes a lot more naturally to pursue this when you're trying to help others and you know them by name. Here's a great quote from a guy named Shane Claiborne. He says this, The great tragedy in the church is not that rich Christians don't care about the poor, it's that rich Christians don't know the poor. I long for Calcutta slums to meet the Chicago suburbs, for lepers to meet landovers, for each to see God's image in one another. If you don't have any friends who either live in poverty and are trying to break out, or friends who are trying to help others break out of the cycle of poverty, we'd love to help you with that. Just let us know. Just let us know. We can introduce you to some folks. This world is filled with many nice things. Following Jesus and pursuing friendships with people who are trying to break out of the cycle of poverty will help keep these nice things from possessing us. They will become your servants, not your masters. You'll be able to enjoy them while fixing your eyes on eternal rewards. And it's no coincidence that, that this next passage we're going to look at comes before any of the others that we read, except the temptation passage. Look at this. This is what leads into where Jesus says the, um, the stuff that we opened with in, in 624. This is, this, this is what comes right before that. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, with that, let me close with this story. Knowing that he would die soon, a rich man had all of his assets converted into gold bars. 
And with his dying breath, he grasped his bag of gold with all his might. And when he awoke, he was at heaven's pearly gates. And he had managed to take it with him, his bag of gold. So he lugs his bag of gold up to the pearly gates, and there's St. Peter. St. Peter. And St. Peter's a little perplexed. St. Peter was surprised because for the first time, someone had managed to bring an earthly treasure from one life to the next. St. Peter greeted the man, said, Hello, friend. I'm sorry, but you're going to have to leave that bag here. You won't be able to pass through these gates holding that bag. The rich man was indignant. He said, That is unacceptable. I worked my whole life for this. St. Peter said, Well, I'm sorry. Here's as though you have a choice to make. Well, the rich man walked away sad. That was his choice. He couldn't part with his bag of gold. And as the rich man walked away, one of the angels, who never quite understood people, one of the angels turned to St. Peter and asked, Why are humans so attached to pavement? If you didn't get the uh, punchline. Revelation 21. 21. Let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Father, we don't want to exchange things that are ultimately of very little value for things that are of great value. Holy Spirit, continually open our eyes. As we pursue you, would you send fresh and new each morning your spirit, the same spirit that 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 was in Christ. Would you send your Holy Spirit and and help our minds to be fixed on real treasure, to be fixed on things that last, to be fixed on what really matters, to be fixed on things that bring ultimate security, that bring deep joy. Lord, would you protect us from things that won't? Would you release us from things that won't? Lord, I I pray right now that you would speak to to us and, and would you say to us things that only you have the right to say? If there's things that that we should let go of because we love them too much, would you give us the courage to do that? Would you give us the courage to do that? And as we go through life, would you help keep us, keep things in perspective? I think of that Rich Mullen song, you know, where he sings, "I, I don't want to lose the eternal for the things that are passing. We don't. Those of us with kids, we don't want to pass on a love for things. Lord, May you increase our love for you and our passion for you. That we may live lives that don't have the regrets that they otherwise would. So as we go forth, bless us in that way. Open our eyes to things that matter. Guide us on our paths. Protect us from the evil one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.